The Tennis Gateway Podcast and the Sports Game Podcast Network presented by our Patreon. Score exclusive perks, content, and contests, including our NFL win totals contest with a $1,000 prize. Join today at sportsgamepodcast.com slash Patreon. We're also brought to you by Parlay Play. Parlay Play is a lead pipe locking for parlaying player props. Go to parlayplay.io and use the promo code SGP for a 100% deposit bonus today. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Game Podcast Network. It is currently early Friday morning, August 11th. Number host is always Scott Rochelle, once again, going solo for this pod. Should be a fun episode because it is time to get into the quarterfinals here on the men's side in Toronto. So four matches to preview. We'll go through each of them, kind of like what we did in the round of 16. But unlike the round of 16 episode, we actually have lines on all these matches. So I'm not going to be totally in the dark on some of these. But that's also going to ex- help me explain why this episode is coming out a bit late. It's because the odds makers, for some reason, took their sweet time posting all the lines for these matches. Now, in the round of 16, we were able to record a bit earlier because, once again, when you have eight matches, you can afford to record if you only have lines on six of them. You can compromise, and then, worst-case scenario, you'll mention your thoughts and what you think the line will be, but even if you don't fully have an exact idea of what the odds are going to be, you can still provide enough good tennis content with the lines you have. As for the quarterfinals, you only have four matches, so each individual match is more important in terms of information for a gambling show. And as a result, we had to wait it out because for a while, even though there were one, they were one match short in the round of 16, because the last match of the day between Murray and Sinner ended up not happening because Murray withdrew because of an abdomen injury. So you figure, all right, the last match of the day ended extremely early. We might as well get some lines early and roll. But unfortunately, that did not happen. And we only had McDonald and Fakina lines for their match for about two, three hours. And then eventually all the matches got their lines released. But I had to wait it out. So as a result, that's why this episode is coming out a bit late. On the bright side, though, the actual start time of the first match of each day has been slowly but surely getting pushed back later and later. So, for example, you've had a couple of matches starting like 11 or 11.30 the last couple of days. The first match on Friday for the quarters at 12.30 Eastern time. So we do have an extra hour compared to previous rounds. So recording a bit later shouldn't really hurt anybody because you'll have about the same amount of time of hours to get your bets in. But for the sake of this episode, once again, four matches should be fun. A nice mix of players you thought would be here and some players you did not think was going to be here. So I am a fan of how that's unfolded. But once again, should be a fun episode. Looking forward to breaking down those matches. Before we get into any of the four previews, do want to recap how we did in the round of 16. And once again, ended up sweeping the lock and dog picks for the fourth time in the last five episodes. We had a bit of a rough month. I fully acknowledge that. And then we were waiting to heat up again, and we have. So definitely a nice uh, run that we've been on. Hopefully we keep it rolling here, and hopefully we get our fifth sweep in six episodes here on Friday. But to go through the actual plays for the lock, we had Medvedev to win in straight sets at minus 132. And that was exactly the way that I thought it was going to go. I thought that Medvedev would win 6-4-6-4, and he won 6-4-6-4. I thought Musetti would play okay. But once again, he's more of a clay guy, and I thought that Medvedev's just overall consistency and his ability to play well on the slow Toronto courts would really just be too much for Musetti to handle. 
Musetti's talented, but he is also very aggressive, or I should say he gets a bit impatient at times in long rallies, and I thought unforced errors would be an issue, and a lot of the long rallies ended with Musetti hitting shots into the net where he just got frustrated by how long the actual point was taking, and he looked for the quick way out, and as a result, Medvedev warmed down. Now, it got a bit sweaty for maybe a minute or two, because Medvedev did not get broken for the first set and change. He was up a break early in the second set, then gave the break back, which was kind of annoying there. But he immediately fixed it as he got a break in the following return game. So only an issue for about a minute. And then after that, Medvedev held the rest of the way. So nice job by him. Cash the lock there. And then moving into the dog pick, we had Dimenauer, money line at plus 122, taking on Fritz. I was torn between the over two and a half sets and the... Money line, but either would have gotten there as Dimenauer won in three. Was a bit fortunate, to be honest, that Dimenauer won the first set. Fritz was up 5-1 while he also had a, a set point, and he choked the entire thing away. Dimenauer came back from 5-1 down facing a set point, and he won the first set in a breaker. So Dimenauer, I've described several times on the show as a pusher. And some people might find that an insult. I disagree. I think it's a compliment, at least in my opinion. A pusher is a guy that's always going to go for it. He's never going to roll over. And even though Dimenauer might not have the greatest weapons in terms of just overall power, I think that's the way I would describe it. He doesn't have much power, but he does have movement. He has a lot of quickness. He's one of the fastest players on tour. And he gets to everything. So he was able to... In my opinion, what I thought was going to happen ended up happening, where he was able to wear down Fritz over the course of these three sets because Fritz had played so much tennis for the last two, three weeks in Atlanta and in D.C. and now in Toronto, where he had a three-setter against Umber. But Dimenauer cut down on the unforced errors compared to Umber, and he was able to dominate in the third set because Fritz ran out of gas. Just simple as that. So nice win there at plus 122. So once again, got a lock and dog sweep, and hopefully we'll keep it rolling here on Friday. To go through, though, the brief recap of the other matches on the card, had a very good day. We did not get everything right, but we got most things right. So starting off with the first match of the day, you had Fakina taking on Rude. We liked the over two and a half sets, and we liked Fakina money line as a dog in that one, and that ended up winning as Fakina got the job done 7-6 in the final set. Now, for the match, I thought it would be competitive because the two previous head-to-head meetings, despite being a couple years ago, did go to five sets in Grand Slams or in the ATP next-gen finals. So historically speaking, these players were competitive against each other, and you had a couple of wars. I thought that once again, stylistically, you'd see a pretty competitive battle between the two, but I liked how Fakina was playing, and we know Rude has had an under has really had an underwhelming season despite making the final of a Grand Slam, and it seemed like a match that Rude would probably lose, and he did. So overall, nice start to the day with Fakina winning in the over. Then we didn't really do that well in the next match as we had... The, we linked to the over in the McDonald and Rayonich match. Did not get there. McDonald won 6-3, 6-3. He's looked great. Simply put, Rayonich didn't really have it, and McDonald ended up beating him. Now, moving on to the next match, I mentioned before, that was the lock pick. We had Medvedev 6-4, 6-4, so that worked out well for us. Then we had the dog pick after Dimenauer, where we got everything right on that one. Had Dimenauer money line, had the over two and a half sets. And on VEASAN, I did give out Dimenauer over 12 and a half games, personally, on the team total at minus 105, and that got there too. Uh, moving on for Monfi and Vukic, really didn't spend much time on that match because we didn't really have lines for the final four matches, or give or take. Yeah, we didn't have lines on the last four. So we were kind of guessing 
I, I thought Monfi was going to win, so I guess that worked out. But once again, I can't really handicap it with a way of saying I was right or wrong because we didn't have lines. But I thought Monfi would win, and he did. Uh, for Alcaraz, her catch, I would have been wrong on the match. I thought Alcaraz would have probably won in straight sets. He did not. That match turned into an absolute war as Alcaraz ended up winning the last two sets, 7-6, seven, 7-6, six, seven, six, after dropping the first one. Her catch played well. Simply put, he was a former runner-up at this event, so he has been quite, uh, comfortable uh, in Toronto in the past, but Alcaraz eventually did enough to win. Almost a massive choke job, though. Did a lead 5-2 to two in the third set, so he was up a double break as the number one player in the world, and he punted it. Her catch won the next four games. He was down 5 six held serve and then eventually regained his composure and won the breaker but once again five two up against her catch you probably should win that before the breaker but survive in advance Alcaraz moves on and then for the last match of the day we were wrong on this one we thought that Giron had a decent chance to beat Paul he did not as Paul ended up beating him comfortably six three six two so overall did well in the matches we had lines on as for the matches, we didn't have lines on. I don't know how we did. I don't think we did that well. We could have done worse, but once again, it's a bit tricky to fully recap it when you don't know exactly what lines you were dealing with. And then, of course, the Sinner-Murray match didn't happen, which is why I didn't mention it. But once again, sweep the lock and dog picks, which is nice. And now it's time for us to move on to the... Uh, quarterfinal matches here on Friday. So without further ado, let's get the show on the road. Starting off with the first match, you have McDonald taking on Fakina in a battle that I'm sure nobody thought we'd be having in the quarterfinals of a Masters 1000 event. So for this matchup, Fakina is the favorite at minus 140. McDonald is the underdog at plus 120. As for the spread, you have minus two for Fakina and plus two for McDonald. Over-unders at 22. And if you want some alt lines here, you can get McDonald plus two and a half at minus 130. You can get Fakina minus half a game at minus 130. Uh, if you also want to look at the alternative over-unders, 23 is plus 105 to the over, unders minus 135. For, you can get 21 at minus 150 on the over and plus 120 on the under. And if you want, for example, Fakina to win straight sets, you can get that at plus 170. McDonald to win in straight sets is plus 260. So for the head-to-head, uh, between these players. They faced off once, and Fakina did win. It was in 2021 in Stockholm, so it was a hardcore tournament, but a couple years ago. And Fakina did win that one in three with a 7-5 in the third set. So looking at this overall match, Fakina, in my opinion, has been in slightly better form than McDonald. Both guys have been very good here. So I'm going to throw that out there. It's been two of the better, most consistent players we ha we've had in the entire bracket so far. However, I do wonder with Fakina, he had a couple of easy matches, and then he had an absolute war against Rude, where he was on the court for a long, long time. I am wondering if fatigue is going to be a bit of an issue for Fakina in this matchup, or maybe he will not have his best game uh, in these three sets. But looking at the actual match against Rude, it was a three-hour and 15-set match. Now you're immediately responding, having to play the day after. It is not a great scheduling spot. Now, I do think Fakina is the more talented player, which is why this is difficult, because I think McDonald has had the much easier go of it because he has not dropped a set in the entire tournament, beat Karatsev in straight sets, beat Rublev in straight sets, beat Raonic in straight sets. I really see a coin flip match here. I think my favorite play in this match is actually going to be the over. I think I like the over two and a half sets at plus 135. I really think that both players have brought their A games so far to this event, and I do think they're going to cancel each other out and have an absolute war here. Pekina, 
I think he should be favored, but that three-hour, 15-set match does kind of concern me in the grand scheme of things if he will, I don't want to say take a set off, but if his level is going to drop pretty heavily and McDonald has once again just been going through sets with ease and he's been going through matches with ease because he hasn't had to spend much time on the court, that does benefit McDonald, but I do think that looking at this match in itself, I'm really having a hard read on who I think is going to win. I think it is going to be very competitive as a result, I guess there's value on McDonald because I think it's kind of a coin flip match and you're getting plus 120. And once again, Fakina does have that fatigue angle fade where he played that long of a match on a Thursday. But I do think I'm going to go with the over. I see a pretty competitive match. We saw they faced off in 2021. A couple years ago, I get it, but it did go three sets. And I do think that once again, even if it doesn't go to three sets, you might get a tiebreaker here. We saw uh, Fakina go to a two tiebreakers in the match on Thursday against Rude. Maybe you'll get a tiebreaker where each player breaks once, and next thing you know, 7664 is alive to go over 22. But I'm going to go with the over. I see a pretty competitive match to start the day off. Now, moving on to the next match, you have Dimonauer and Medvedev, which should be a very fun match, too. Now, in the head to head, it's been a pretty lopsided as Medvedev has won four of the five head to head meetings. However, Dimonauer broke through and actually won the last head to head meeting in Paris last year as Dimonauer won in three, six, four, two, six, seven, five. But uh, all five matches have been on hard court in their careers. Medvedev, once again, was 4-0 to start. And some of those matches were early on. They faced off in 2018 twice, where Medvedev won the first matchup in three sets. He won the second matchup in straight sets. Third match was in Paris as well. And Medvedev won that one in three sets, despite losing the first set, actually. Then in 2022, they faced off in the ATP Cup. Medvedev won 6-4, 6-2. And they faced off in 2022 in Paris once again, and Dimonauer won in three. So Dimonauer's been playing some good tennis recently. He made the finals in Los Cabos, and he ended up, of course, uh, beating Fritz yesterday. But it's pretty similar to what I just said about Fakina. That could be a problem. Dimonauer was on the court for a long, long time against Fritz. And to go through the exact length of the match, it was a lot shorter than the Fakina match. It was two hours and 26 minutes. But knowing how Dimonauer plays and how constantly he's running around the court, he had to spend a lot of energy, especially in that first set where he could have rolled over and ended up coming back. I do wonder if Dimonauer is going to struggle to maintain his same level of just fitness throughout this entire match. We know how long each point should be because Medvedev on these slow, hard courts is willing to spend all the time in the world keeping the ball in play and forcing you to hit it past him. And that's why this matchup is so entertaining because neither guy really hits many winners. Both guys want to keep it in play and they want to do whatever they can to be elite defensively. You might see a lot of seriously long rallies, but with that being the case... I think Medvedev has the advantage because, one, he's had a lot more success at this tournament in the past as he made the finals twice. He won a title here a couple of years ago, and he's not dropped a set so far in this event. He ended up beating on a couple, beating up on a couple of Italians, but still, the point is Medvedev has looked comfortable here. Dimonauer's looked good, too. He has had a weaker schedule so far. Nori's had a down year, especially on the hardcourt season, but 7-5-6-4, good win there. Ended up beating Diallo which is fine. Diallo is still a youngster, though. I don't think many people thought he would end up beating Dimonauer. So a pretty 
uh, easy draw there for the second round. And then he had a war against Fritz, who was fatigued, and we gave him out. But I do think looking at how these players match up, you have seen a couple of three-set matches. Three out of the five matches have gone to three. But I actually think Medvedev's going to win this one in relatively straightforward fashion here. It's the fact that I just personally believe on this on this court, in this tournament, Medvedev has looked like a guy that is really in his backyard. He's been elite on hard court all year. And I do think that once again, him being a two-time finalist, one-time champion here tells you how comfortable he truly is at this venue. You can currently find Medvedev to win in straight sets at minus 118. I find that pretty appealing. The main differential between these guys, besides potential stamina concerns late, is the serve. Dimenauer is not a good server. And we know Medvedev's a great returner. Now, Dimenauer is a decent guy at the net. I am curious if he's going to use the net skills more. We'll see. But I do think when you're looking at how these players match up, Medvedev's serve should really be the deciding factor here because he can win a bunch of extra free points. You're going to see a lot of really competitive service games, so you might see a lot of breaks in the match. I actually am going to lean to the over in the breaks of the match, in, in the match if I could find it. I'm just pulling up Bet365 quickly, but I think you're going to see breaks here, but I think Medvedev's more likely to hold than Dimonauer is, and I think as a result, you're going to see a competitive but straight. Uh, straight set victory here for Medvedev and a minus 118 once again for a two-time finalist to win in straight sets. It's worked for us so far in this event. We're 2-0 and on it, basically. I know we had the under in Arnaldi, which is another way of taking the straight sets while saving some juice. I think you're going to see a pretty similar story here. I'm going to go with Medvedev to win in straight sets at around minus 118. As for the breaks, though, just quickly pulling up what the breaks number is. It's at five and a half. I do see Dimonauer breaks, though, over one and a half breaks of serve in this match for him on Medvedev's serve at one and a half at minus 150 to the over. That I think I do like. I think Dimonauer will be able to break at least twice in this match just based on how many balls will get in play. And we know that Medvedev can double fault at times, and that could be a bit of a concern. But I do think Dimonauer will make life difficult for Medvedev at times. But I really do see a lot of breaks in this match. So I'm going to go with the over there. But one and a half breaks of serve for Dimonauer in particular, I think is pretty appealing with that number. But moving on to the next match here, you have a matchup between uh, two players that I can say you can somewhat have expected to be here. You have Alcaraz taking on Paul. You can argue that you were expecting Rune to be here instead of Paul. I personally might have been, but still, uh, you end up seeing Giron beat uh, Rune, and then Paul ended up beating Giron yesterday. So now we have a rematch of the marathon match that we had in Canada last year, where Paul actually pulled off the upset. Paul won in three. First two sets went to breakers, and then you ended up seeing Paul win the third set 6-3. I remember Alcaraz mentioned after the match that nerves got the better of him and Paul was able to eventually wear him down. Alcaraz did have a match point in the second set and he was not able to convert. That was in a tie break, but still he also was serving. Uh, was he serving for the match? He was not. Uh, Paul ended up getting a break. He was trying to uh, serve it out to extend the match to a third. He got broken back, but he eventually won the seconds at tiebreaker 9-7. But Alcaraz had a match point. Paul fought it off, and then Paul eventually got a break early into the third and won 6-3. But I think, once again, looking at the betting odds here, 
You're expecting Alcaraz to win because he's around minus 500, minus 550. Paul the other way is plus 450, plus 437. The spread is four and a half games. Paul plus four and a half, minus 110. Alcaraz minus four and a half, minus 110. Over-unders at 21. The over is at minus 108, and the under is minus 112. So first things first, Paul has given Alcaraz problems in the past. Now, I just mentioned the match on this court that took place last year where Paul not only gave him problems, but he won in three sets. And they did face off in Miami earlier this year, and that match was also pretty fun. Alcaraz ended up winning 6-4, 6-4. He had a couple of breakpoint chances that he did not convert on. I believe Paul only had one breakpoint chance in the entire match, but you saw Paul hang in there, and he once again covered this number in Miami. So I think when you're looking at the spread, this number feels very off to me because Alcaraz has really not looked great in his first couple of matches here. I know her catch was a former runner up here, but I think most people expected Alcaraz to win in straight sets, maybe with a breaker involved. And he was really in trouble of losing that match. And I mentioned in the episode yesterday that I thought Alcaraz looked pretty underwhelming in his first-round match against Shelton. Shelton has really not been good at all ever since he made a deep run the Australian Open, and yet that ended up being a competitive matchup. Alcaraz does seem to be struggling a little bit with the unforced errors based on how slow the courts have been playing here. I think because of that, I think I'm going to lean to Paul plus the games. Four and a half is an insane number. Once again, you have fatigue issues. I know Alcaraz disproved fatigue issues in the U.S. Open when it seemed like every match he went to went to five sets, and he still won the title. But I have to at least point out that Alcaraz did not look sharp, and he played a marathon match in the Thursday slate while Paul won comfortably against Giron and just straightforwardly walked into a spot in the quarters. I think that matters, and I do think when you're looking at Paul and what his style of play can do against Alcaraz... If you're relying on unforced errors from Alcaraz, Paul's got a good play style because he's going to keep the ball in play. He's mobile, and he is willing to exchange long, long rallies. And I do think, once again, Alcaraz has not looked totally comfortable on the hard courts in Toronto. So I think four and a half is too many games. I think that you're getting an argument that Alcaraz will be motivated and Alcaraz is going to look for revenge I don't know if I really buy that because, once again, it's a Masters 1000 event. How much motivation do you need? But the argument, once again, for Wimbledon, for example, was Alcaraz is not going to let what happened at the French Open happen him at Wimbledon. Like, he'll be ready this time around. He won the title, I get it, but I don't think it was because he got injured in the French Open. I just think he was unlucky that happened. But I think that when you're looking at the stakes of these very big matches, you play to win the game. Shout out to Herm Edwards in football. At some point, you got to just go out there and realize I'm out here to win a title and Paul's or this other guy's in my way. I'm going to try to win. So I don't know if I really believe in the vendetta angle when you're in the quarterfinals of a Masters 1000, which is pretty open, to be honest, when you're looking at the field, because you have Medvedev, Alcaraz, and Sinner who are all here, and then a lot of guys who most people thought would not be here. So you're looking at what could be a pretty open draw to some degree. I don't think, once again, you're going to expect Alcaraz to play extra hard because of who he's against. That's insane. You're in a quarterfinal matchup. I think Alcaraz would bring it no matter what. But I do think Alcaraz is probably going to win. Having said that, I really think four and a half is too many games. I think Paul can hang around. I see a similar potential scoreline to Miami. Maybe 6-4, 6-4. Maybe a breaker in there. But Alcaraz has not exactly looked that sharp serving. And he has had some unforced error issues, and Paul has looked very comfortable here on the hard courts in Toronto for the last couple of years. 
Give me Paul plus the four games and give me the over 21. I know I just said maybe 6-4, 6-4, but the more I think about it, I actually kind of like a tiebreaker in this match. So give me the over and give me the underdog plus the four and a half. But I think that Alcaraz will probably win by match's end. And moving on to the last match, you have Sinner taking on Monfi. Sinner is around a minus 357 favorite. Monfi is plus 287 on the underdog roll. You're looking at Sinner minus four games at minus 101. You have Monfi plus four games at minus 119. And you have the over-under at 21.5. Over is minus 119. Under is minus 101. Now, for the head-to-head between these players, Sinner is 3-1. and one. Uh, They faced off two times in 2019 where Sinner and Monfi split straight set wins. Both matches on hard court. They faced off in the U.S. Open in the round of 32 in 2021. Sinner did win that one in five. However, he did win the first two sets, 7-6-6-2. So in a two out of three set format, it would have been a straightforward win. Then Monfi won the next two sets, 6-4, and then Sinner won the final set, 6-4. And then in 2021, again, they faced off in the final in Bulgaria, and Sinner won 6-3, 6-4. Now, it's a pretty interesting scheduling spot here because Monfi won in straight sets against Vukic, pretty straightforward. On the other hand, Sinner should be the more rested guy because Sinner did not play yesterday since Murray ended up not showing up for the match. So you can argue that can work for and against Sinner, because Sinner, on one hand, has had an extra day off where he should be rested. On the other hand, he's only played one hardcourt match in singles since Wimbledon. So you can argue maybe he'll be a bit rustier. I know he got off to a slow start against Berrettini. Berrettini just could not convert a break point in the first two return games. And then Sinner woke up after that. But I do think you're looking at a spot where Monfi could maybe make this match interesting early on. I think Sinner's going to win. I think Sinner eventually is going to be too much to handle for Monfi. But I do think when you're looking at how this match could unfold, would it shock me if Monfi went up an early break in the first set? No. I'm not sure if he's going to hold it or not, but I do think that Monfi could get out to maybe a 3-1 lead in the first set and go from there. I think Sinner's going to win. Four games seems about right, in my opinion. So I don't exactly feel great about anything in this match, to be honest. I think I think Sinner, most people expect to win in straight sets. I probably agree with you. But I do think this could be interesting if Monfi looks as good as he has looked so far in this event, because he's looked very comfortable, and you can make an argument that his actual opponents have not been the most difficult. Beat Eubanks in the first round. Eubanks, I don't think, is a great hardcore player. I think he's a pretty overrated player in general, but still a nice three-set win there. Then he ended up beating Sitsipas, a nice win. Sitsipas, we know, though, can be a head case at times, but still a good win there, obviously beating a top-10 guy. And then he beat Vukic, who most people did not expect to make it up to this point. I'm sure most people thought that Korda, for example, would be the matchup for Monfi. Decent path here. Sinner looked good against Berrettini after struggling early on, but I, did, I think when you're looking at how this match will unfold, I think Sinner's going to win, but I do think that you're looking at what probably is going to be a very nerve-wracking Straight set win or three set win for Sinner. I think I'm going to lean to the over. I think once again, you can see a competitive first set. Maybe it goes three. I think 21 and a half sounds about right, though. I can see a 7-6-6-3 type of result. I, I can see Munfi maybe winning a say even. But I think you might see a bit of a war here, at least for a little while between these players. So for me, I think I'm going to go with Sinner to win. Straight sets is also like minus 118. I think that Sinner should probably win in straight sets. But once again, I mentioned Monfi potentially getting up a break early, so you might have to sweat it out a little bit. Maybe you can get some good odds alive if you take the straight sets for Sinner after he's down a break in the first set. But Sinner has covered 
this straight set line in three of the uh, four hardcourt matches against Medved- against uh, Manfi. A reminder that the U.S. Open match in 2021, Sinner did win the first two sets. So he did cover this in theory in the U.S. Open. I think you're going to see a very competitive match that Sinner wins. So give me Sinner in a competitive two sets, maybe three but I do think the over is probably worth a look here at 21 and a half. And that's going to wrap it up for the actual schedule here uh, for the quarterfinals in Toronto. Now it's time for the lock and dog picks. But forward to that, I have a quick word from our sponsor. We're brought to you by the SportsCam Podcast Patreon. SportsCam Podcast Patreon is the perfect place for the diehard DGEN. Sign up for the Patreon to get exclusive access to contests, including the NFL win totals contest with a $1,000 first place prize, plus a monthly SGP Stories podcast, an ad-free, uncensored show highlighting the best stories from decades of being degenerate gamblers. There is even a Discord channel just for patrons. The SportsCam Podcast has and always will give out all their picks for free. The Patreon is a great way to support the network and fight back against corporate gambling. SportsCampodcast.com slash Patreon. SportsCampodcast.com slash Patreon. We're also brought to you by Parlay Play. Parlay Play is a great way to get down on your favorite parlayed player props. Football season is right around the corner, and Parlay Play will have all your favorite props. Parlay Play is available in a ton of states, including California and Texas. Plus, our good friends up north, Parlay Play, is available in all provinces of Canada. And when you sign up with our code, you'll get a sweet bonus to get started. Head over to parlayplay.io and use promo code SGP for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. That's parlayplay.io, promo code SGP. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished going through the um, four matches for the quarterfinals here in Toronto. Now it's time to get into the lock and dog picks for the show. Once again, we are going for our fifth sweep in six episodes, so no pressure. Just kidding, but we're just going to try to keep it rolling here. Starting off with the lock, I had a couple choices here. I think I'm going to go with my instincts here, as dangerous as it might sound. I'm going to take Tommy Paul plus the four and a half games. I just think that this line is too high. Alcaraz, I know, is the number one player in the world. He's been in great form. But in this event, he's really looked quite vulnerable. And I think that looking at how these players have faced off in the past, Paul beat him last year. So I know that he's not going to be afraid of Alcaraz in this matchup. I know that a lot of people might be intimidated by Alcaraz and the original big three in tennis aura-wise, where you go up against them, you walk into the stadium, you see him across from you and already lost before a point was even played because you just assume that you're going to lose the match. Paul's going to be confident going in because he just he's already beaten him here in this event. I know it was in Montreal last year, technically, but I know Paul's not going to back down, and I do think he'll be able to make life difficult for Alcaraz. And they faced off in Miami this year. Paul did cover this line, 6-4, 6-4. But you're looking at Alcaraz, and once again, he beat Shelton 7-6, sorry, 6-3, 7-6. Shelton has not been good this year at all. And then he beat Hercatch in a war yesterday. I mentioned fatigue angles, but that match was 2 hours and 38 minutes. Once again, wasn't as long as the Fakina match against Rude, but still a very long match, and that was definitely a match that Alcaraz could have lost. And I think that when you're looking at how this match will unfold, Alcaraz has gone to three tiebreakers already in this tournament in five sets. You might get a breaker here, and if that's the case, you're in pretty good shape to catch this uh, bet here. But getting four and a half games for a guy that beat this exact opponent in the same exact event last year, I think is kind of insane. 
I get the argument Alcaraz should be a massive favorite because he's the much higher ranked player. I get all that. But four and a half seems like a crazy line here. I think it should be closer to three and a half or maybe even four. But four and a half, I feel pretty good about that with Tommy Paul, especially after a straight set victory with ease on Thursday. Yeah, I'm going to do it. For my lock, give me Tommy Paul plus the four and a half games against Alcaraz at minus 110. And for my dog, I'm going to go back to the first match between Fakina and McDonald. And I said I really don't know who I'm going to pick to win the match. And I said it should be a coin flip. When you get coin flip matches, you tend to take overs because you don't know who's going to win. You expect a war. I expect a war. I'm going to go with the over two and a half sets here at plus 135. We saw them go to three sets in the only head-to-head meeting back in 2021, and that ended up going three where Fakina won 7-5 in the third. But both players have played some great tennis at this event. McDonald looked very good, and Fakina's looked very good. I do think that both players will be able to have moments in this match. McDonald might be able to wear down Fakina over the course of this match, but I do think Fakina is definitely the more skilled player. I've said it several times on this podcast. I think Fakina, talent-wise, is a borderline top 10 player. The issue is the mental toughness, which he did a good job of dealing with yesterday. So I think that when you're looking at this matchup, you're going to see both players who have looked very comfortable here look comfortable again at times, but it's going to cancel each other out, and you're going to end up seeing a three-set war. So give me the over two and a half sets in the Fakina and McDonald match. At plus 135 is my dog. So once again, the lock and dogs for the show, the lock is going to be on Tommy Paul, plus four and a half games at minus 110. And the dog is going to be on Fakina and McDonald over two and a half sets at plus 135. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of the 10 Scaling Podcast. We're back once again to go through the semifinal matches in Toronto. Uh, Until next time, though, find me on Twitter at Rice Show Radio. Find me on a bunch of podcasts with the network. Find me on the MLB podcast, the NBA podcast, Find me on the NFL podcast, WNBA podcast. You get the point. Until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.